Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, NFL fans? Welcome to another episode of Four Down Territory. As always, I am Luke Easterling, your host, alongside Doug Farrar, the man, the myth, the legend from Touchdown Wire, king of the X's and O's as we know him. Doug, we what's the halfway point in the NFL season anymore, right? We've gone from... Whenever you want it to be, Luke, that's what it is. We get to pick. We get to pick, right? So you and I are picking. We say it starts right now. So here we are, the halfway point. It's kind of like the Colts head coaching situation. It's whatever we want it to be. Whatever. We just pluck it out of thin air and hope it works. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pluck some award winners out of thin air uh, at the uh, on both sides of the ball at the midseason point here in the NFL. Um, we'll start on offense and defenses. Player of the year on both sides of the ball. Who do you got, Doug? On offense, I have to go with Tyree Kill of the Dolphins. I know he's on a quarterback, but I think he's been the most impactful offensive player on any team this season. He's on pace to demolish all kinds of receiving records in an offense where he's been the absolute force multiplier since day one. I think we've all seen that. Um, he's been the league's best and most powerful deep receiver, most impactful, despite a quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa, who, for all his positive attributes, and I'm not, you know, banging on Tua here, but I mean, we saw this in college. We see it in the NFL. The deep ball isn't great. Um, Hill is making a lot of sort of amazing catches on the last 10% of the route to make those things happen. Um, and, you know, deep shots with average velocity, Hill can, turn it to, can still turn into game breakers. Right. And Hill makes everyone on the offense better. And head coach Mike McDaniel would have to scrap about half of his passing game concepts without Hill on the field. You look at what that's done for Jalen Waddell, for Mike Gusecki, for Jeff Wilson Jr., who they just traded for. And we've talked about, you know, how that run game is so expansive. Well, it helps a lot when you got your safeties 30 yards downfield because, oh, my God, here comes Tyreek Hill again. So that's my offensive guy. My defensive player of the year is Micah Parsons of the Cowboys because there isn't a thing he can't do on the field. I don't want to say he might not be able to play deep safety, but then I saw a play against the Saints last year where he went 30 yards up the pipe and uh, deflected a pass, so maybe he could. Uh, whether he's rushing the pass or inside or outside, hitting run gaps or excelling in occasional coverage, he has become the very model of the modern do-everything defensive player. Basically, he's the guy every defense wants. Luke, what about you? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be contrarian here, but I, I don't think you can pick against Tyreek Hill at this point in the season on offense. I, you know, obviously he's only got the three touchdown catches, but he's on pace for, you know, at this point, the most prolific season we've ever seen from wide receiver in NFL history. I mean, like you said before, this offense is really a perfect fit for him and it's turning him loose in the best ways to has taken full advantage of his explosiveness, his ability to separate Mike McDaniels dialing up all this great stuff that takes advantage of what a rare talent he is. I mean, the impact he has on opposing defenses is just mind-boggling at this point, and we're seeing it in the box score as well. And on defense, I'm going I'm to take a little bit of a different route. I, I mean, speaking of doing everything, I like a defender who can show up in the box score in a bunch of different ways. And honestly, I really don't know why the Chicago Bears didn't just go ahead and pay Roquan Smith, because now he's a Baltimore Raven, 
But up until this point, he's sixth in the NFL in tackles with 83. He's got two and a half sacks, a couple of interceptions, three pass breakups, four tackles for loss. I mean, that's the kind of guy, if I'm Ryan Poles and I'm trying to set an identity for my team, I pay that guy and hold him up as an example to say, listen, if we draft you, we develop you, you turn into this type of player, we're going to reward you. We're going to invest in you when you get to that point in your career. I would have rather seen them do that. I think it sends a better message to that locker room. But right now, Baltimore Ravens are getting that guy, and I think he's been one of the best defenders in the whole league. Let's move on before I get too angry about the Bucks' predictable play calling and talk about our favorite offensive and defensive rookies this year. At this point in the season, who are your picks for offensive and defensive rookie of the year, Doug? A lot of great candidates on offense, but I'm going with a guy right up here about 10 miles from my home office and Seahawks running back Kenneth Walker. All he's done through the first nine games of Seattle season and getting a late shot as the starter after Rashad Penny's broken fibula, ouch, in early October, is to define Seattle's offense exactly as Pete Carroll would prefer it be defined. Walker didn't get his first NFL start until week six of the season, and he's already run 111 times for 570 yards and seven touchdowns. Now, six of those seven touchdowns have come in the fourth quarter, and if you saw them against the Cardinals in that Sunday win, you saw how much they relied on him when it was really, you know, crunch time. Here we go. We need it. Let's give it to number nine. They're going to get it done. He's going to get it done. Um The other thing about Walker, he's overcome the few dings. I had him as my number two running back behind Damian Pierce, then of Florida, now the Texans. A couple of dings I saw, just an inversion to contact balance, not a great pass protector. He's worked all that stuff out. Right now, I think he's as complete a back as you could want in the NFL. It's just been a remarkable story. Like, what haven't the Seahawks done right this year? It's just like... Yeah, the Seahawks are going to be a theme on this episode, folks. Oh, boy. A lot of Seahawks Uh, love coming. After five years of WTF, it's just, you know, it's amazing. Uh, on defense, I have to go with the one and only Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Uh, Seahawks cornerback Tariq Woolen has been everything and more his team could have expected, as we have previously discussed, because we were both big Woolen guys. But Sauce is the boss here. I'm putting Sauce over Woolen and everybody else because although Woolen has a, a better interception ratio, Sauce has been on an island more often. The Jets are basically asking him to play that role at a level you would expect from a three-time All-Pro where you're just, okay, other corners over here, safety's over here, you're the guy, number one receiver, go. This is like halfway through his rookies. It's it's crazy. Um, He's responded magnificently. The one thing, and I remember talking to Richard Sherman about this before the draft, that he had a, a, a worry, kind of a concern about sauce, not his ball skills, not his hands, but he was so interested in breaking up the pass that he would forget to catch the ball. I think that's still kind of happening. Once he gets that and the interceptions come up, that that is a lockdown, shutdown, number one cornerback in the NFL right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, I hate, I hate to keep agreeing with you, uh, but on offense, I, I really don't Stop think doing that. against Walker. I, I, I would have picked Brees Hall if he were still healthy. Without that season-ending injury, I think he's absolutely right there in that conversation and maybe even the front runner if he stays healthy. But again, like you said, after Penny goes down, Walker's made the most of his chances, right? He's quickly become one of the best backs in the league. I really had my doubts for the Seahawks in particular, all the things they needed when they spent one of those high second round picks on another running back. I was just like, I just don't see it. But like you said, it's hard to argue with the results already at this point. He's had such a a small window to, to make such a huge impact and he's done it. He's become the thing that really keeps that offense balanced. And I know I'm, you know, we're going to get to Geno Smith here in a little bit, but 
it, it's the best thing for a quarterback to have when you have a running back that everybody on defense has to respect. They have to load up the box. That's what opens up your play action. That's what opens up your deep shots down the field to lock it in Metcalf. But Walker right now, I think, is is the engine that's making that whole offense go from what we saw early in the season, which was already pleasantly surprising, to what we've seen lately, which looks somewhat unbeatable when they're firing on all cylinders. I think Walker has a lot to do with that. And if you're taking sauce on defense, I'll go ahead and take Woolen, right? Because like you said, we both loved his traits coming into this draft. How could you not, right? 6'4", 200 plus, 4'2 speed, the length, all of that. But I don't think either of us, as high as we were on him, saw him making this big of an impact this quickly at the next level, right? We thought it was going to take a little bit of time and development, some patience. I mean, the fact that he's still got so much potential and still much, so much development that he can still go through down the road means he's probably still just scratching the surface. And, and if what we've seen over these last, you know, the first eight, nine weeks is any indication, I mean, he's got a special future ahead of him. Yep. I agree. It, it's a toss up. I mean, you can go either way. It's hard to argue. Uh, let's go to underrated players, Doug. Both offense and defense up to this point, who has been the most underrated player in the league on both sides of the ball? It, this is the Seattle episode because on offense, it's Seattle's Seahawks quarterback, Geno Smith. Yep. He's been talked about a lot nationally as the feel-good story of the year, but I think the hallmark stuff, while valid, gives him short shrift as a legitimate MVP candidate, which I think he is now. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year at all the degree of difficulty stuff. Efficiency against too deep coverage, throws past the sticks, completions under pressure, and he's given the offense a gravitas that Seahawks never really had with Russell Wilson, as great as Wilson was at his best, because you had to run the Russell Wilson offense with Russell Wilson. Now they're running the Shane Waldron offense, and everyone in Seattle is like falling all over themselves to apologize to Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator. It's like, well, who knew what he could do? You, because, Shane. Yeah, you, you just didn't know. Um, he's the primary reason the 6-3 and three team is already one win away from matching its 2021 win total. I had him at about five wins, so there you go. And there's nothing about Smith's play that suggests a fluke. This isn't going away. And the thing about him is he's been through all this stuff in, the, in his 10 years in the NFL. He throws that pick against the Cardinals, and he's like, well, you can't kill me. I'm already dead. I'm just going to get back up and, you know, torture defense, which is, which is exactly what he did. He, he didn't had, write back, Doug. He didn't yeah, write back. The quarterbacks need to have that short-term memory. He has a no-term memory. He just sloughs it off and moves on. Uh, the only question now is when Seattle gives Smith that rich contract extension he so obviously earned because he is the franchise. That's it. That's the way it goes. Uh, I'm going to cheat and list two underrated defensive players, both with the Eagles, both cornerbacks, and Darius Slay and James Bradbury. Philly's defense uh, has risen this season from 25th in defensive DVOA in 2021 to 2nd behind the Broncos, poor Broncos, in 2022. And they're outside corners are the main reason why. Uh, defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon can unleash all his coverage of the Slay and Bradbury because they both excel in everything you want. And this is rare, as you know. Man, match, and zone, press and off, whatever you want to do, they can both do it. This season, Slay has allowed an opponent pass rating of 37.2. Bradbury has allowed an opponent pass rating of 39.8. So either way you go, you're wrong. Then you bring in C.J. Gardner-Johnson, the safety, who Howie Roseman is another one of those Howie deals. He comes in. He leads the league with five interceptions and could just as easily be on my list, and I suspect he'll show up later in the show. Um, and that's why this defense is cooking with gas. So I'm going with two guys, both the Eagles cornerbacks, and playing about as well as you can play. Luke, what about you? 
I mean, I, I think Smith is the right pick. I think Gino's the pick on offense. But for the sake of contrast, so we don't keep agreeing with each other, I'm going to take another quarterback who was given up on too early, right? And that's Justin Fields. Yeah. I, you know, Sunday's record-breaking performance against the Dolphins, 178 yards on the ground, the most of any quarterback in a game, in regular season game at least, in NFL history in the Super Bowl era. I mean, what we saw against the Dolphins was really just a glimpse of what Fields is capable of when he's got anything close to an adequate supporting cast, right? And and when you throw in a play-calling plan that actually makes the most of the rare skill set that I think he has, I mean, he was the number three overall player on my board two years ago for a reason. You had Trevor yep. Lawrence, I had Kyle Pitts, and Justin Fields was right there. You could make a very strong argument that he's already the best quarterback from that class that saw five guys taken in the top 15. And, and again, look ahead to the resources the Bears are going to have in the offseason, the money, the draft picks, He's already doing so much in such a short amount of time with a play calling scheme that's actually geared towards him. And with just even just a little help, even just a guy like Chase Claypool and the presence he he gives him as a contested catch guy. We saw Cole Komet progress and kind of break out a little bit. Darnell Mooney is, is able to create separation. He made that big touchdown catch. Justin Fields is a special player. I have been saying it since 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 that draft class leading into that draft. It's so nice to see that finally coming about because he's finally getting the help he needs as a young quarterback. Again, this is a guy who's barely started a season's worth of games at still at this point, halfway through the year. Any um, season where Matt Nagy is your offensive play designer doesn't count. So I'm, I'm saying it's nine weeks. Absolutely throw it away. And and you alluded to it earlier on defense. Uh, Gardner Johnson is my pick here. Yep. Like you said, leads the league with five interceptions. And that's really no accident because the Eagles have – they went after him for a reason, right? We yep. think this guy has a special skill set, and we think Gannon in this defense is the right scheme to allow that to be maximized, right? And that's what's happened. He's one of the most versatile playmakers on the field at all times, and, and clearly they know how to put him in position to use what he does best. He's in the box. He's in the slot. He can go single high. He can go everywhere and just follow the quarterback, follow the ball, and usually they meet up at some point. I think that's been one of the best, most underrated trades, moves, whatever, of the entire season so far. And the Eagles are just so scary at every level on defense, and adding him was just really unfair. And, and to finish off our list here, we got to go with the big one, right? Who, at this point in the season, is your NFL MVP? I'm a little reticent after they just lost to the Jets, the Bills, but I'm I'm, I'm going to go with Josh Allen. When you factor in his impossible abilities as a passer and what he brings to the team as a rusher, I don't know if there's any player I, I know with Mahomes and what he does and what he did, you know, on, on Sunday night, but the extent to which Josh Allen is asked to carry that offense is just exceptional. And he's still capable of the occasional exasperating decision, but you look at the total upside, you look at the efficiency, what usually happens well on the field, you name me a coach who wouldn't trade that for what Allen does bring. And I will name you a coach who needs to be replaced. Luke, who's your guy? You know, honestly, I think you could make a really strong argument for Tyreek here. And I know it's yeah. usually a quarterback's award now, but he's having the type of season like like we saw from Derrick Henry, right? Where it's just yeah. you can't help but reward that because it's so rare, because it's so dominant. And I think Tyreek could earn that if he stays on this track. Uh, but I'm, I'm going back to your, your underrated player. I think Geno Smith has been the most valuable player in the NFL this year. And I think when you when you consider – that preseason narrative, right? You see the Russell Wilson trade. He goes to Denver. All the expectations are through the roof. Oh, he's going to take the the Broncos. I was part of that, right? Go back to our episode about the preseason awards. I had I had Hackett winning Coach of the Year. I had Russell Wilson winning MVP because the expectations were just so high that yeah. he was going to go there and Russ was going to cook. Well, 
that's not what happened in Denver, but it is what's happening in Seattle. And and think about that mentality, right? Gino comes in, he's he's used goods, right? In terms of the NFL, he already had his chance. He's, you know, a journeyman spot starter, backup guy. He's supposed to compete with Drew Locke, who they traded we for. Had, yeah, we have to, in the preseason, it was 50-50 as to who would be their starting quarterback. Absolutely, right? So he goes into that competition, if you will. Obviously, clearly the best guy. And then he comes into the regular season from, from week one. He beats Russell Wilson in week one, right? And then ever since has been just a dynamic, efficient playmaker at the game's most important position. Seahawks are probably the biggest pleasant positive surprise in the league right across the all 32 teams I think they're the team that has exceeded expectations the most and I think most of that falls on his shoulders and his ability to, to again cut through the noise all the things the expectations that people thought for this team and for him and his career trajectory he threw it out the window and I think that makes him as valuable as anybody in the league hard to disagree my friend well, that does it for us this week. NFL fans, thanks so much for joining us every week. Once again, for Doug Farrar, I'm Luke Easterling, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.